Good morning. It is my privilege to open God's Word with you this morning. Today we're going to begin a series concerning the, covering the book of Leviticus, which we spread over a total of nine sermons over the next couple of years. Now, I realize that Leviticus has a reputation for being boring and useless, and this is even an impression that I shared at one point. This changed for me when I read a book by the title of Who Shall Ascend the Mountain of the Lord by L. Michael Morales. Um, And ever since, I've grown a deep appreciation for Leviticus, particularly the light that it shines on the significance and scope of the work of Christ. My hope and prayer for this series is that you would grow to love this portion of our scriptures and through this book have a fuller and richer understanding of what Christ has done for us and the life that it calls us to. To steal the Kansas tagline, Leviticus, it's not that bad. This morning we will begin by examining the context of Leviticus and the problem that it is addressing with the hopes of preparing us to understand what is happening throughout the book as this series goes on. With that said, we're going to read the entirety of the book of Leviticus this morning. Just kidding. We're only going to read Exodus 40, 34 through Leviticus 1, 2. And we're starting in Exodus because it is the narrative context that shapes and is the context for Leviticus. So hear now the word of the Lord. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the livestock. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord, you are beautiful, magnificent, and glorious. You have sought to dwell amongst your people so that we may behold you and become like you. As we open your word this morning, make your word effective, as you have promised to encounter us through your scriptures. Free us from distractions, give us clarity of mind, and joy as your word is proclaimed. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who like structure, this is where we're heading this morning. First, we're going to look at, look at the tabernacle and understand its purpose and what it, what it is doing, as it's the setting of Leviticus. Second, we're going to examine the problem that Leviticus addresses. And finally, we're going to glimpse at the solution that Leviticus offers. I'm going to begin by offering a little bit of a crash course on the history of Israel through the first two books of the Bible. It is going to be the setting for Leviticus. The history of God's people is one of ascending to dwell with God and then being exiled away from his presence. Scripture starts in Genesis 1 with God creating the heavens and the earth and then creating Adam and Eve to dwell with him in the garden. And they are a sort of priest king in the garden. Then they sin and are exiled away from God's presence, so they descend away from Eden, and then they are barred from the presence of God as a result. So as time goes on, their sin increases in the people, that are, the people of the earth, and so does their distance from the presence of God. 
Eventually, the Lord sees that the wickedness of man is great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart is only evil continually. And then he purifies and judges mankind by sending the flood. Then we find, after the flood, we find Noah, the mediator figure, the new Adam, on the mountain with, near the presence of God. But again, as time goes on, it, mankind descends away from the presence of God due to sin. Later, in Genesis 11, we have the Babylonians trying to make their own way to God, building the Tower of Babel. And God thwarts their plan because they're trying to approach him in a way that is not acceptable, as they're seeking their own glory rather than God's. God's response here is choosing and covenanting Abram as the one through whom all nations will be blessed. And again, ascent is involved here as he goes up to the place where God calls him to. But in order to get there, he ends up traveling through Egypt, which is another symbol for death, and then coming back up to the presence of God, where ultimately he offers a, a sacrifice and the covenant is confirmed. From here, the, people of Abra the descendants of Abraham are living in the land. But drought and famine forces them into Egypt, where God then redeems them out of their slavery and oppression into the promised land through the waters. And then he brings them upon Mount Sinai, where he is meeting with them, as Moses, with Moses as the mediator. So we see throughout the history of God's people, there is an aim of God to redeem his people in order for them to dwell with him. The aim of the covenant is for God to be the people, his people's God and them to be his people. But Israel is not yet in the promised land. They are in the wilderness and they still need to travel to the promised land. So how is God going to dwell amongst them on this journey? The answer to this question is the tabernacle. In Exodus 25.8, Yahweh says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So God reveals the instructions for the tabernacle from Exod in Exodus 25 through 31, which includes the instructions for the tent and all the things that have to go with it. The tabernacle is meant to resemble Yahweh's heavenly throne room where Israel's mediators can come and meet with God. But the Israelites, while Moses is up on the mountain receiving the instructions, go the way of the Babylonians and try and bring themselves into the presence of God by making golden calves. God responds to this by threatening to be done with Israel and to send them into the land without his presence, without his blessing. But Moses intercedes, saying that it would be better for Israel to forfeit the land and the promise that they were going to inherit than to lose the presence of God, who was the source of their life. So the tabernacle is built, just as the Lord instructed, and that brings us to where we began reading today. With the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle and his presence being the deciding factor on whether or not the Israelites would follow. Thus, the tabernacle is the location where God has promised to descend in order to meet his people. And where God's presence is, there the Israelites will follow as they ascend to dwell with God. The tabernacle is the setting of the entirety of Leviticus. If you look at the structure of the Pentateuch, Leviticus is the central book, and in the center of Leviticus is the Day of Atonement. And everything that happens in Leviticus comes from the tabernacle, as it is a series of speeches where God is speaking out, as we see, saw in Leviticus 1, God spoke to Moses. Um, it is, so that is the setting. 
And, and you have, on both sides, you have Sinai as the location of where he's receiving the revelation in Exodus, and then you have numbers as they are descending from Sinai out towards the promised land. But what exactly is the tabernacle? We have seen that it is the place where God has promised to dwell amongst his people, that it is a reflection of the heavenly throne room. And there are two terms used for tabernacle in Exodus 40:34. The first is tent of meeting, and the other is the tabernacle. Both express similar ideas, specifically being a place that, as one commentator put it, a portable Sinai, a place for the Lord's presence and revelation that will travel in the Israelites' midst. A portable Sinai, a place of the Lord's presence and revelation that will travel in the Israelites' midst. While the concept of tabernacle may be foreign to our current culture, the desire for a place to encounter God is not. After COVID, AMC theaters began showing an ad before each movie. The ad stars Nicole Kidman and aims to convince moviegoers that watching a movie at an AMC is where you will find magic. Here are the words of the ad. We come to this place for magic. We come to AMC theaters to laugh, to cry, to care. Because we need that, all of us. That indescribable feeling we get when the lights begin to dim and we go somewhere we've never been before, not just entered, but somehow reborn, together. Dazzling images on a huge silver screen, sound that I can feel. Somehow heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Our heroes feel like the best part of us and stories feel perfect and powerful because here they are. AMC theaters, we make movies better. And what this encapsulates is a place where one goes to find life, or a place where one is reborn. And while this ad is offering a false hope, the tabernacle is a place where one finds real life, real meaning, and real joy. And with that, the tabernacle is in the midst of the Israelites. Yahweh has now moved into their neighborhood, allowing Israel to daily live in the presence of God. This core idea of tabernacling, God coming to dwell amongst his people, extends throughout the entirety of scripture. In fact, one could summarize the story of the Bible as God making a way for his people to dwell with him. If we trace this theme throughout scripture, we move from the tabernacle to the temple, which is built on Mount Zion. David had sought to build a house for the Lord, which God turns that promise on his head and tells David that he's going to build him a house with a son who will actually build the Lord a house and will sit on the throne forever. So Solomon partially fulfills this and builds the temple, but later Israel is, that temple is destroyed as Israel is sent into exile because they're sinful. But this promise to David that the Lord will build him a house is fulfilled in Jesus, the son of David, the son of God, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. He speaks of his body as a temple, and in his life, death, and resurrection fulfills the purposes of the tabernacle and temple. Then the theme carries on to Jesus sending the Holy Spirit to dwell in his people, uniting them to himself, so much so that God's people are spoken of as the body of Christ in a temple made of living stones. The significance of this is that God invites his people to dwell more and more intimately with him, to have a greater communion and enjoyment of the beauty and glory of God. This, in fact, as we confessed in our affirmation of faith earlier, is our chief end, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This experience of dwelling with God is something that you ought to long for, and it is a chord often struck in the Psalms. Here are a few examples. Psalm 26, 8, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. 
Psalm 16, 9 through 11. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 27, 4. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Or Psalm 84, 1-4. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Christian, this should be the greatest desire of your life, to worship and enjoy the Lord. But this, not only is this what you're called to do, it is where you will find true and lasting joy, life, and satisfaction. These are all things that we search out, though often not in the Lord. And this is why the world is, is as depressed and disillusioned as it is. We have sought to find life that we were meant to have in dwelling with God in other places. And this is, what is part of what has fascinated me about the book of Leviticus. It is pointing us to a way that our deepest, deepest longings for joy and satisfaction can be met. And we find that what we are looking for does exist. God does come to dwell with his people. And we are not without hope even as we recognize that we are sinners, unable to enter the presence of our holy God. So my question for you this morning is, where are you seeking life? Are you able to say with the psalmist that one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple? Even if your answer is yes to that question, we still have a problem, as did the Israelites. We are sinful, cut off from life, unable to enter the tent of meeting by our own merit. And in Exodus 40:35, we see that Moses is not able to enter the tabernacle because the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And he cannot enter for the same reason that he was not able to see the fullness of the glory of the Lord. As it would have been, meant death for Moses because God is holy. Which simply mean, holiness simply means that he is set apart, pure, perfect, so then, therefore, impure, sinful, and common things cannot abide in the presence of a holy God, lest they be destroyed. And our modern culture has a hard time with the idea of God being holy, as our tendency is to assume that everything must conform to our own liking rather than that of an external other. Yet functionally, our culture understands that when in the presence of someone special, there's a standard of holiness that we must live up to. Imagine that you're able to meet and share a meal with your favorite movie star, sports star, or other famous figure from history, how would you act in their presence? My guess is that you would not just dress like you got out of bed, pick your nose, say all the silly things that you're thinking. No, you'd be on your very best behavior, trying to make a good impression and treating them with dignity. And this is because you have recognized that this other very important person is holy, in a sense, and is not to be profaned. Therefore, you must also live in holiness. So, what might the requirements be if one is to encounter their creator? Psalm 24 asks the question of, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Now read the psalm in full. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell there, therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it on the rivers. 
Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And in verse 4 here, we have the definition of one who can enter before the King of glory. And the requirements are having clean hands, a pure heart, and being one who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. This is true righteousness and holiness. This is what humanity was called to be. Yet we are not. Neither is Moses, nor the Israelites, nor us, are able to enter before the King of glory as we are now. We are not holy. We do not have clean hands. We do not have pure hearts. We are prone to worship idols, and we seek to deceive others for our own benefit. So we are left outside the presence of God. What good is a tabernacle if no one, not even Moses, can enter? What good is it to hear about the good life that God offers if we cannot obtain it? Have we fallen victim to a bait and switch, following God just to find that we are unable to attain what we have been promised? And this is precisely the problem that Leviticus answers. Leviticus 1.1 connects the book of Leviticus with the end of Exodus and says, The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Here, the problem is beginning to be solved. The Lord speaks, and what follows are instructions for how one is to enter the tabernacle and then live after encountering God. This is Leviticus. It is a guidebook for approaching and living with the Lord who has come to dwell amongst his people. This is why Leviticus was treasured by the Israelites. It gave them a form and structure to their relationship with God. They were not left to figure it out on their own, not left to fail miserably at the cost of their lives, but they were given a gift of a revealed way to God. And this is where the second and third questions of the Westminster Shorter Catechism that we affirmed earlier come into play. If we are to glorify and enjoy God, in other words, dwell with God, how are we to do that? By following the rule that God has given us, which is the word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, and is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy God. And what do these scriptures principally teach? These scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. So basically, not only in Leviticus, but in the entirety of the scriptures, we are told how we may glorify and enjoy God, how we can ascend to him and live with him. And this is good news, really good news. Christian, this means that we ought to treasure our scriptures as it reveals to us the way of life. And without this revelation, we are left to our own means and devices to approach a holy God. And this has been tried many times, and it has never worked to approach God on our own, by our own way. You can think of the Tower of Babel. You can think of the Golden Calf. You can flip forward to Leviticus 10 and see Nadab, Nadab and Abihu approach God with strange fire. The Bible tells us how we can come before and live with God. And in Leviticus, we have a microcosm of that narrative. So how do we ascend into the presence of the Lord? 
The immediate answer that is provided in Leviticus 1-2 is, and I'll read the verse again. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd of the flock. The way is by bringing offerings of livestock to sacrifice to the Lord. Leviticus 1-7 through outlines the laws for various types of sacrifice that are to be used in approaching the Lord. With these sacrifices, there are two main symbols and goals of each sacrifice. There are some sacrifices that are for atonement and purification, and others are communicating complete dedication and allegiance to God. These sacrifices can atone for sin, purify uncleanliness, with the goal of drawing near to God. Leviticus also outlines the role of the priest. Specifically, the high priest is the mediator who performs these rites on behalf of the people. It is the high priest who represents the people on the Day of Atonement, which is established in chapter 16, which is the pinnacle of Leviticus, as well as the Pentateuch. This Day of Atonement is, how, is the capstone of how one approaches the Lord, and highlights the essence of how we can dwell with God. Our sins must be dealt with somehow, and the means that God has given us is that of a vicarious sacrifice. Life for life, blood for blood, an unblemished animal taking on the punishment that you deserve. This is a way that is not dependent on one's merit, works, but on the grace of God to provide not only the instructions for the sacrifice, but also the animal. As everything that has been given to the Israelites was given to them by the Lord. In other words, the reason there is a way to ascend the mountain of the Lord is because the Lord is he who, revealed himself, who he revealed himself to be in Exodus 34, 6, and 7. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will no, by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So we see here, through the day of atonement and sacrifice, God has made a way where his justice can be executed, where sin is not just thrown to the side and ignored, but actually dealt with. So if I were to summarize the message of Leviticus, it would be the Lord has revealed a way for his people to be made able to ascend into the presence of God through atonement and purification specifically through the sacrificial system, the priesthood, and the Day of Atonement. And the result of coming before Yahweh and dwelling with him is that his people are changed. They become holy, and they reflect God's glory as they behold his beauty. But this system of the tabernacle of sacrifices of a priesthood seems foreign to us. And as you might have noticed, we do not still sacrifice bulls and goats, and we do not have a tabernacle, nor a temple where we come to meet the Lord. Hebrews 10.4 says, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So where are we to find true atonement and forgiveness? The answer which the New Testament puts forth is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire tabernacle system. Offering, priesthood, day of atonement, all of it. Jesus is the great high priest who does not need, who does not need to make atonement for his own sins. Who then once for all offers himself on our behalf as our perfect sacrifice so that we may dwell with God forever. Jesus is a tabernacle of temple, the person who reveals the Father to us. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the one who is able to ascend the mountain of the Lord. His hands are clean, his heart is pure, he did not worship false idols, and there was no deceit found in him. 
Leviticus, Leviticus sheds great light on what Jesus has done and allows us to better praise the Lord for the way that he has made for us to dwell with him as we were meant to. It also means that we must live holy lives in response to the forgiveness that we have received by means of atonement. It is a gift that we must steward, seeking to continue in the state of holiness that we have been given. There is a way to God through Jesus, who fulfills and surpasses the provisional way to ascend the mountain of God offered in Leviticus. It is to him we must look and trust if we are to dwell with God in the house of God. So cling to Jesus, your great high priest, your Passover lamb who is slain for you. Let's pray. Father, you have revealed a way for us to come to you, specifically through your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. I ask that you would fill us with a burning desire to dwell with you and enjoy you, and that as a result of encountering you, that we would become holy. Fill us with thanksgiving for the way that you have made, us, made for us to dwell with you, which is the birth, life, death, and resurrection of our Savior. Amen.